0: Our text today will be Psalm 2, Psalm 2, a messianic psalm of significance. And today, I believe it's speaking to us and to the end time church. Verse 1 says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot, King James says, imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my kingdom father speaking about the son On my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Beautiful language here. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The father. And the incarnation of the son. And then he says this to him. And then through him to us. Ask of me. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's wheel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little... Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Father, I thank you for your word that's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Holy Spirit, anoint your word, anoint your servant, and anoint your people. Let revelation flow. Let healing flow. Let encouragement flow. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. This great messianic psalm has so much rich truth to us. It begins, though, by an evaluation of things. This is written 3,000 years ago. And yet the first sentences could be taken from today's front page. The the nations raging, the people imagining vain things, trying to shake off the cords of godliness. So first point, we are experiencing an open all-out war against the Christian faith, against Christian beliefs or biblical beliefs and practices. The goal of this demonically inspired assault is to remove every last vintage of vestige of biblical beliefs and foundations in our country and in the Western world. The ruler of this, the principality that really is a philosophy engaged uh, in our generation is humanism. this humanism's central and chief purpose is the stripping away of every last cultural pillar of godliness and biblical truth from our society. In its essence, it is an open war against God. We're in the midst of great spiritual warfare. So, first verses say the world is in this upheaval, always trying to fight against God. And the way that it is expressed in this chapter is so insightful. It says, the, the restraints of morality that biblical truth and Christian belief or biblical belief brings to us that, that we don't want those shackles. We will do whatever we want with our bodies. We will not let God or his Bible or his truth define our moral behavior. We will behave sexually any way we want to. We will define genders. There's not two. There's 102. We will do whatever we want to It is mankind's war against God. And so that is seen, it is most frequently and most powerfully seen by the sexual beliefs of a generation, what they believe about God. And so there is real war there. So I just want to remind everyone in this room that our warfare is not natural, it's spiritual. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6, talking about spiritual warfare. Finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. God does not condemn weak Christians, but he does invite weak Christians to become strong in him. Weakness is not a sin, but it certainly is not supposed to be permanent. They that wait upon the Lord shall do what? Renew their strength. We find strength in God, his word, his spirit, his presence in prayer, worship, study, church, attendance, everything about the kingdom produces strength. So we will have to be strong. Why? Because we put on the whole armor of God, which this chapter talks about in Ephesians, so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, the the tactics of the devil. Because the devil makes bad things sound good. So there's a rationality, there's a reason. Whenever God is absent from a culture, society, or a a group of people, they will come to what they determine are logical conclusions, but they're absent, the influence of truth, of absolute truth, objective truth of what God says. So humanism says we will make up our own rules, we will decide what is right in every facet of our world, our existence, and we won't let God, we're shaking off the restraints of what God or biblical practice has put upon us. But the Bible says this about what we have to do. We wrestle not, verse 12, against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. In this election year, let me remind all of you. People are not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh, we fight Devils, we forgive people. We fight principalities and we love people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, against this, the spiritual rulers of this age. That's so. All the unseen army of hell. That's our. That's our true fighting battlefield. In, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten. It says this, verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. See, your perspective of this moment will be determined on where you're seated, And your seat determines your vantage point. And the lower you sit, the more humanistic will be your interpretation or the more natural will be your evaluation. The higher you go, the more you share with God his understanding of how things really are. Though we live in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to so the pulling down of strongholds, casting on imaginations, every high thing, bringing every thought to the captivity, to the obedience of Christ. So, so everything about the Bible is a weapon. When I pray, it's a weapon. When I worship, it's a weapon. When I read the Bible, it's a weapon. When I love people, it's a weapon. The gifts of the Spirit, nine of them are weapons. The fruit of the Spirit, nine of them are all weapons. Everything about the kingdom is a weapon to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Everything. You are made to overcome. When we're not overcome, when we're not overcoming, it's because we're not using our weaponry. So God wants us to overcome. Just a couple of points about this. I posted about this, and I think all of you, that used to be, uh, um, how, how can I say this right? All of you that used to use other things to get high than Jesus. <laughs> here's what I said yesterday The higher you go, the happier you'll become. If you're not full of joy and laughing, it's because you're not high enough. Come on, all you tokers and be you, uh, He's got a point there. So, in the kingdom of God, your joy is determined by how, how high you sit. Second point, the fun point, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. <clears throat> Five happy people, it's true. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2 we are seated presently, currently. With Christ in heavenly places so my vantage point from there is different than my vantage point from here so we see things differently when we're seated in our righteous place our revelation place our heavenly place with Christ so As believers now, joy is not just a little blessing God wants you to have twice a week for three seconds. Joy is your constant companion and joy is your necessary weapon because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. When joy leaves, weakness comes. And so joy is the sound of victory. Joy is the spirit of victory. So Joey is knowing you're going to win the game before the whistle starts. Come on, for all you Super Bowl fans. Joey is knowing your team is going to win today before the game starts. For all your Suns fans, I don't even want to comment about the Suns right now. Watched the game last night, had to pray for half an hour just to recover. Some dude named Stephen Curry ruined my night. If he wasn't a believer, I'd be. But he he loves Jesus, so God bless him. <laughs> so joy is the evidence I believe God's promises that I'm living in victory. What joy leaves is because I've accepted the belief that defeat is in my future. Well, joy's here? Got it? Got it? Joy, joy, joy. So joy is necessary. The Bible says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteous, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. That's God's promise to us as believers. The Bible says in Psalm 16 that God's presence has fullness of joy. Pastor, what is fullness of joy? Fullness of joy is when your face shows it. Have you ever talked to someone and they say they're happy and their face is like, no, there's somewhere between 34 to 37 muscles involved in smiling. The reason why some of you are sore for a week when you pose for pictures is that you don't smile enough. So, part of, so joy has a physical manifestation in my life. Bible says shout for joy, sing for joy, dance for joy. Come on, this is how Lutherans dance. That's me getting it on, man. This is wild. i am getting wild right now. So joy has, we shout for joy. So joy has, it has to have an expression when it's full. When it rises up, it then takes control of my emotional lever and says, nope, nope, I'm taking over. Come on. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's your strength too. It's got, here's what Jesus said about joy to us. Jesus said... In John 15, these things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He said the same exact wording about peace. Here's what he said. I'm giving you my joy. The joy of Jesus. God's joy. I'm giving you, he says, I'm giving you my joy. Now the moment he gave it to me, it became my joy. I became the steward over that joy. Now, if I'm not living in its full expression, it's not joy's fault. It's because I'm not empowering it. I'm not living in its potential. I've somehow diminished its bright light from shining in my world. So it's it's my joy now, and it's I'm the steward of it, and Jesus wants it to be full. Now... My wife loves the TV show, The Chosen, and, you know, she's always, she's, every week she's telling me about the new episodes, and I try to watch whenever I can, and one of the things I liked when I just peeked it a couple of times was, I liked that Jesus was not morose, he wasn't miserable, he wasn't unhappy, because if you look at uh, the Renaissance, if you look at um, <clears throat> the Middle Ages, when most of our religious artists come from, you cannot find a smiling Jesus, it's impossible. He's sorry, He's serious. He's tearful. He's sorrowful. And so the picture that religion paints of Jesus is inaccurate. Jesus said, I'm filled with joy. I'm going to share my joy with you. That one verse tells us about 33 years of his life. He was a happy child, a happy baby, happy man, and he's a happy Lord. Come on. Heaven is going to be filled with joy because joy is the attribute of God. And so for us as believers, it's important because joy then becomes an indicator of where we stand. A couple more verses. In John 16, Jesus said this. You haven't asked anything yet, verse 24, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. There's a a quality of joy that comes by winning souls to Christ, like beautiful Mary does all the time, and a joy that comes by prayers being answered. God can't wait to answer your prayers and see you celebrate, rejoice, thank Him, and live in the joyous satisfaction of an answered prayer. It's so important. Because God wants us to have that as a, as a part of our expectation of what's going to happen in our prayer life. James 1 says this. It's such a great pastoral passage. He said this, family, counted all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, so the, the religious reading, that would be, hey, man, when God's torturing you, act like you like it. But life is imperfect because sin polluted the world and Satan's active in the world. And and so anything good that happens here has the fingerprints of God on it. But trials are part of our, all of our story. And so when trials come, how can I count it all joy? By knowing something. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance. So I'm gonna be a better Christian after the storm than before it. I want to have more Jesus, more truth, more revelation. When you know going into the battle you're coming out with spoils, you can have joy going into it. When we know all things work together for our good, we have joy going through things that aren't good. Because we know God's going to make something good come out of it. That's the promise believers have and believers must walk in. I love this verse in Romans chapter 15. It talks about hope. I'm I'm a hope dealer. So, this great prayer says this. Paul's praying this. He said he's praying for hope. He's praying for the church. He's praying for believers. He's praying for us. Holy Spirit speaking through him. And he says this now, may the God of hope, the word for hope in the New Testament is Elpis, E-L-E, in English, E L P I S. Elpis means the joyous expectation of good in your future. So, hope makes people happy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hope comes when I believe God's promise. And when I believe God's promise, I come to these two amazing places. I'm at peace and I'm living in joy. So, hope brings peace, hope brings joy. And then he says this, and may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to have so much hope, we're contagious. We spill over. And that part of that would be by having, by our souls being under the the mentorship, the government of peace, but also that we're splashing out the fountain of joy everywhere we go. Peter said this. Be ready to give an answer for people who ask you for the reason of the hope you carry. Be ready to give a defense of the gospel. And and Peter said this, your countenance should advertise for Christ. Your attitude, your smile, your hopefulness. Ah, America is going to hell, stop it. (laughs) Seated with him in heavenly places. America's having a great revival. That's what I declare. You declare whatever you want to declare. I'm declaring things I feel, see, and from a different perspective, maybe. So God says to us, live in my spirit and watch what I do. So I, Isaiah 61, the, Jesus quoted this when he began his ministry in Luke 4. When he opened up the script. And this was the reading for that day. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus still does that. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of prison to those that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To comfort those that mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, those are opposite things sorrow, grief, mourning. And God says, I'm gonna anoint that soul with joy. And people will say, How can you have no circumstantial reason for your joy except Jesus? Joy, Jesus on you. So God anoints us with a superior heavenly virtue that's greater than our circumstantial, you know, the evidence of our circumstantial conditions. And he says you can live in this joy. Okay. So um, I say it like this. Um, it's not profound, but it's original. You can be happy when life is crappy. Okay. So that, that means this, there's, there's nothing stronger in this world than joy. There's no sadness. My beautiful grandchildren and Isabella's is here today in London. So they only know a happy uh, puppy, 18 down to one year old. And But I was seriously, medically, suicidally depressed for a couple of years, two and a half years. So, so Jesus poured some oil on me. And we were watching, I was watching with those two beautiful girls now, they're teenagers now. 17 and 14, but we were watching, or 17 and 15, we were watching Frozen. They'd come over to the house, and, we, and, and they're like six and, and four, and what do you want to do, girls? We want to watch music, movie Frozen. Well, that's great. We've only seen it 47 times. Do you want to say I want to see it? <laughs> so we're watching the movie Frozen, and London jumps up in my face, grabs my cheek, and says, Papa, you're the funnest person in the whole world. That's, that's going on my tombstone. Here lies the finest The funnest person. In the whole world. Now, my point is this. Jesus can make your heart laugh again. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. You're going to get your joy back. You're going to get your laugh back. Last point. There's introduced, the father then introduces to the son, the authority he has been given. And through the son, to the church he says this. In verse 8, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Now, there's something here. I don't know what you're asking for, besides your team to win today. It's fine. You can pray. We'll see who prays the strongest. But the church has to stop playing Defense. Oh, Jesus, just help us get out of here. The world's going to hell. It's getting worse, worse, worse. I know you're coming soon. Please come soon. Well, I, I pray he comes soon. But in the meantime, let's ask for nations. Come on. So, what, what are you saying, Pastor Mike? Well. Um, I believe we are in the beginning stages of the greatest spiritual awakening in human history. The church must not lose sight of her calling and mandate to win souls and transform culture. This is the time to pray big prayers. This is the time to ask for nations. This is the time to believe for your family's salvation. Let me start there. Pastor, you don't know my family. I got atheists, I got Satanists, I got people that hate God, they hate me. I, isn't it awesome? You get to see all of them saved. If, if God invites us to ask for nations, my friend, you can ask for your family. As for me and my house, Joshua said, We will serve the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, and your household. Paul told the jailer at Philippi so God wants us to pray prayers that are attached to God's heart it's time for the greatest harvest of souls in history the harvest cannot happen without the church being on the same page in faith prayer and practice my Mary is finding so my wife's a tenacious soul winner if you are selling something in our door, you're going to get saved. <laughs> what happened? Oh, they were selling me something. I don't know what it was, but I led them to Christ. So she's, And we're finding out that people are so open. And it's so important because the culture is trying to turn everyone against each other. But the church must see this as a harvest season and not a division season, not a, the opposite season. It's harvest time. And, and God said to the church, what, how come the church isn't asking me for big things now? Well, the church is taking a lot of hits, a lot of things happen. know, I'm, I'm counseling some pastors going through, a lot of stuff, go, a lot of people going through stuff. The church must not lose sight of our mandate, our inheritance, and our rightful authority. We ask for a great awakening in this country. The devil can't stop it. He can't stop it. Ask for revival in Phoenix, the devil can't stop it. The devil cannot stop what God's about to do. Okay, so let's then go back to living in joy. This is your year to laugh again. Come on, you're going to get so happy you laugh at my jokes from now on. Even when they're not funny. So God God is empowering you to escape the prison of circumstantial negativity. And I just want to say to you, if you're a news junkie, you can't be happy. Because the news media is designed to produce fear to keep you addicted. It's addictive. But it also keeps you psychologically overwhelmed and anxious. It's impossible to be a happy person when you're watching hours of media, especially hours of news. You have to govern what you watch. You with me? Now, and you have to protect what comes in. So joy is your weapon to overcome fear. Joy is your weapon to overcome doubt and depression. Joy is the most effective witness to the lost. Come on, uh, way back, way back when, before you knew Jesus, your friend walked in the door, you could tell they were on something, they were so happy. You're like, what you on? Give me some of that. God wants you so happy, people say, what you on? Uh, come on, there's no high like the most high, brother. Come on. Come When I'm living in joy, I'm attached to God's heart, and I start unleashing prayers that shake the world. Because now I'm living with a sense of victory, seated with him in heavenly places, looking at life through a different prism, a different perspective, and that I I talk differently when I'm seated higher. I pray differently when I'm seated high. And you can tell what's going on. Joy is your inheritance, joy is your strength, and you're getting your joy back. You're getting it back? Come on. You're getting it back? I don't, I I travel the world. More than anything I do, I I share hope. The whole world, I'm I'm a worldwide known hope dealer. My story is hopeful. Comeback story. My countenance and behavior is hopeful. My family's testimony is filled with hope. And I l- listen, I don't know what you're going through, but God's not done in your story. And the Lord does not want you to waste, I wasted two and a half years being miserable, being really unhappy. And I, I didn't have to go through that. I'm glad the Lord raised me up out of it. But I don't know what you're going through, how long it's lasted. I just know it's time to be free. And Jesus said, I'm, The Spirit of God's upon me to set captives free. Picture that prison cell door opening. Come on out. So Joy says, Come on out. Why? I know the kids are crazy. Be happy anyways. Well, I, I, you know, Pastor, I'm believing for a spouse. Please be happy before they come. <laughs> no, I'm, I didn't infer any. I'm very happy. Well, I, when you put all your happiness on some event or some person, it will always disappoint you. When your happiness comes from God. It will never disappoint you. Thank you for listening to me today. Church, please stand. Stand your feet, please. Prayer team, if you'd please join me down front. Lord, alert us to the stewardship of joy. Help us to increase the level of joy we're living in. Help us to be stewards of that joy till it becomes a witness. And Lord, help us to pray big prayers. Be unafraid of them. Be unafraid. Come on, I I boldly declare the greatest revival in American history is beginning. The first kernels of popcorn have popped. It's happening. And we're going to see God do amazing things in amazing places across this country, including here in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona will fulfill its prophetic purpose, its mandate. We're a city of refuge. We are the city of restoration. From the from the, the the dying burnt bird to the beautiful, majestic bird, we're the city where resurrection happens. And everything God ever imagined the purposed and determined Phoenix will to be, we're gonna see it happen in Jesus' name. I refuse to curse the place I live in. I refuse to curse the country I belong to. I refuse to curse the generation that I'm a part of. I declare the best is yet to come, revival is here. Break, your family will be saved. Your body will be healed. God will restore what the enemy has taken. And in the meantime, you're going to be happy, you're going to have joy, and you're going to live in a victory that heaven's determined and given you in Christ. And as we close today, I want to invite anyone that needs prayer to receive prayer. We believe in prayer. Man, oh man, God does so many amazing things through prayer. But if you've never received Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've not yet, if you don't know what that means, if you don't know if you're saved, man, today's your day. Salvation is not hard to receive. You open your heart to Christ, you confess him as Lord and Savior. You turn from your past and you receive new life. We would be so honored to pray for you. If you have been away from God, man, make today homecoming Sunday when you come back. If you want prayer for a physical need or an emotional, mental need, we would be honored to pray for you. And maybe your family is just going through the toughest time ever. We would be super honored to stand with you in prayer today. We also as a church believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the scriptural evidence of a heavenly prayer language, which I pray in all the time. If you don't yet have that, we'd be honored to pray for you. If you want prayer for those or any other reason, if you please join us down front. Church, just for 90 seconds longer, would you worship God with me?
1: We see the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So bless His name, all that is within me, say, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Sing it again.
0: The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength.
1: Come on, boldly declare
0: it this morning. The joy, the joy of, of the, the Lord. Mary and I are honored to serve here. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay here as long as you want to. We're gonna keep praying and ministering to people. If you're heading out, tell someone around you, Jesus loves you like crazy. You're an amazing church. Have a wonderful week. God bless you, Jesus. Stay.